There's a, there's a title for you this morning, Closer Than We Ever Imagined. Let's pray. Um, Father, could I pray that you might reveal to us this morning how close you are to us now and how close you will be to us then. Would you bring your closeness to us that we might be so encouraged and so comforted by the gospel of grace this morning. In your son, we pray. Amen. Do you like being close to someone? Do you like being close to someone? COVID has brought new dimensions to the idea of closeness. COVID means that we can't be that close. 1.5 distance, it's lockdown, it's isolation. But on the other hand, when someone invades your space, they're getting a little bit too, too close. We grieve if we feel that we are not as close to someone as we want to be or could be or used to be. It is sin that destroys the closeness between people. In fact, sometimes sin destroys the closeness to a point of no return. And, and, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do at times in order to restore the closeness that we once had. I won't mention any names, but I fear driving with certain people because they get too close to the person in front of us. Walking too close to an edge can be very dangerous. Close, but no cigar. Close, but not good enough. Just a little bit too close for comfort. But then there is death that ends closeness in a final way. There was a memorial service this week for Merrill, and, and that was a way of remembering the closeness that we once had with the person that has passed. I'm going to ask you this question this morning. Is there a closeness lost that you grieve? Is there a closeness lost that you grieve? Well, it was sin that destroyed the greatest closeness that there was to be had. I wonder if you can imagine this morning being able to walk in closeness with God in the very cool of the day in the garden Adam and Eve, because of their sin, were banished from the closeness of God. It was God enclosed as it were, but it was actually God. It was God that was longing to be close to his people again. And it was God who set a plan in motion to restore that closeness. I wonder if you've ever wondered how close you could get to God in the Old Testament as you have a look at this picture and you ask the question, how close could you get? The answer is, not very close. In fact, if you were a Gentile, you were on the outside court. You didn't get anywhere near. If you were a Jewish woman, you would get a little closer. If you're a Jewish man, you get a little closer. If you're a Jewish priest, you get a little closer. But only the high priest could go into the closeness of God in the Holy of Holies once a year. And he couldn't linger. He had to get in there and get out. And then he had to wait another 365 days before he could get close to God again. 
If you've got your Bible open, verse 27, what is the hope of glory? What is the hope of glory? The hope of glory is not Christ in you. I'll explain that. There's a very important little comma there. What is the hope of glory? The hope of glory is in the presence of God again. The hope of glory is to be in the presence of God again. It's where the Old Testament started, Adam and Eve, close in the garden. It's where the New Testament will end in the very presence of God himself. And I heard a loud voice, Revelation 21.3, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I want to ask you this morning, is, is, is that the closeness that you long for? Is that the ultimate closeness that you long for? Do you, do you long for a closeness that is with God face to face? Do you, do you have that hope of glory? Do, do, you, do you have a hope this morning of being so, so close to God? Now what Paul is about to tell us in this passage is that there is a closeness to God that is now. There's a closeness now that is the guarantee of a closeness then that will be beyond anything we can imagine. You got it? There's a closeness now that will guarantee a closeness beyond anything you can imagine. Let me start by giving you my first point, the barrier to closeness destroyed. It is sin that destroys the closeness between people. It is our sin that destroys our closeness to God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do to try and fix it, we cannot regain that closeness to God. In fact, it is our sin that makes us enemies of God. We are separated. But if you've got your Bible or take a look at it as it comes up on the screen, look at verse 21 and 22. But, but, but once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Notice there that Christ has removed the barrier to closeness by his death. The death of Christ has removed the barrier to closeness and, and thereby we, we, we have been drawn close to the Father. No longer as enemies. No longer, not even as friends as good as that is. But if you've got chapter 3 verse 12, we've been drawn close as dearly loved people of God. I wonder if you realize this morning that before you were a Christian, you were so far from God. But that barrier of sin has been removed in Christ. You've been brought near. But that's not the end. Have a look at verse 22 again. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death in order to do what? To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
It's not just that the death of Christ brings you reconciliation to the Father, but it's the death of Christ that now, by faith, makes you holy and blameless and, and free from accusation in His sight. Because Christ took all the blemishes, because He took all the accusations, we stand before God as holy, meaning that we are without accusation, we're with, without condemnation. As I continue to uh, brush up on my Latin, there was a famous little uh, Latin phrase that was a favorite of R.C. Sproul before he died, and it was the phrase called Corum Dio. Anybody know what that means? Caroline, you're smiling. Corum Dio. What does it mean? It means in the, in the presence of God. We could even translate it as being before the eyes of God. And I wonder if we understand, Christians, that because of the death of Christ, by faith in His, in his death, we, 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 we stand absolutely free from condemnation without accusation because of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, when it says that we're holy standing in the presence or before the eyes of God, it doesn't mean that we're without sin. It means that you stand before God not accused. You're not condemned. You're not, not judged because all that condemnation, all that accusation, all that, that, that judgment was taken by Christ at the cross so that God the Father can never ever hold you accountable for your sin. If you read the book of Colossians, is it not remarkable? Have a look at chapter 1 and verse 2. How does, how does Paul address God's people to God's? To God's? Holy people in Colossae. If you went to chapter 3, verse 12, therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Christian, you are holy. You are blame-free. You are judgment-free. You are condemnation-free. You are accusation-free because of Christ. And it's that standing that is going to carry you all the way. That, that standing is going to stay forever so that you will get into the very presence of God one day. Some years ago now, there was, a, there was an African airline that had a rather catchy slogan that went like this, fly all the way with us. Fly all the way with us. You think that's a little bit odd? I mean, like, imagine, for example, you want to fly from South Africa to Australia, but somewhere along the flight, they eject you from the plane or they kick you off because they're not going to fly all the way and you land up in the middle of the sea. I mean, what airline wouldn't take you all the way? Don't say Qantas. The cross of Jesus removes the barrier of closeness forever, makes you holy in His sight so that you can be sure that you are going to get into the very closeness of the Father. And you're not going to be ejected along the way. If you can put it this way, to use the analogy on the Jesus flight, you're not going to get thrown off somewhere along the line. You're not going to get ejected and land somewhere else. But as we think about this closeness, it's such a beautiful future reality. But what Paul wants us to know is that closeness is actually a present reality now. Now. So my second heading for you, 
the closeness of Christ in you. The closeness of Christ. Have a look at verse 26 and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, or disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has, has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when you think about a mystery, a mystery is not something that is unknowable or unsolvable. A mystery in the Bible is something that was hidden but is now revealed. Something hidden but now revealed. So have a look at this promise of presence in Leviticus 26 verse 12. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. Here's the mystery. The mystery of the Old Testament was this. How, does, how is God going to get so close to his people? He was close, but he wasn't that close, right? I mean, you remember the tabernacle. He becomes close, but only Moses goes in there. Only the high priests or priests go in there. The temple is built, and as we said, it's only the high priest that goes into the holy of holies once a year. How is God going to get close, closer to his people? But then the mystery widens because how is, how is God going to get close to those who are not Israelites? How is he going to get close to those who are not Jews? How is he going to get close to the Gentiles? The, 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 the closeness of God is not just for the people of Israel. It's for the world. It's for the, for the nations. How is he going to get close? Have a look at verse 27. She will come back to that one. Look at verse 27. The mystery known is Christ in you. That's the mystery revealed. How is God going to get so close to his people? Christ in you. The Christ that died, the Christ that rose from the dead, the Christ that ascended to the right hand of the Father comes to live in his people. Christ in you, whether they are Jew or Gentile, until the day that we will see him face to face. As the prophets look forward in the Old Testament to a closeness of God, they could never, ever have imagined that God would get so close to his people, Christ in you. So look at that phrase again in 127. What does Paul mean, Christ in you, comma, the hope of glory? The glory is the closeness then. It is Christ in you now that guarantees that closeness. In other words, if Christ is in you now, you will go into the very presence and closeness of the Father forever. Just in case you think you won't make it all the way, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this would have been an absolutely stunning, startling reality that this Christ in you is not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile as well. Chapter 2, verse 6, to all who would receive Christ 
as Lord. Christian, let me put it to you like this. One day, you will be closer to God than you can ever imagine. But I wonder if you realize this morning, you're closer to God now, perhaps more than you ever realized before you came in here this morning. Christ in you. When Christ took your blame at the cross, He made you blameless before the Father. Then He took up residence in you, dwelt in you as the further guarantee that you will get to the closeness of God. Now look at that phrase, Christ in you. You, you might sort of ask yourself, why? why does he say Christ in you and not the Spirit in you? It's the only place in the whole of the New Testament where Paul puts it like this, Christ in you. As we say in the creeds, it's the Spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ. But here's what Paul's doing. He's wanting to press in the very closeness, the very personal and relational aspect that it is Jesus Christ in you. He became flesh and tabernacled among us. He became flesh and then he tabernacles within us. Christ is so, God is so close, perhaps more than we could ever imagine now, beyond any imagination of what it will be like then. Take a look at this verse in Romans 8 verse 9. Here's how so Paul brings the Spirit and the Christ, and he sort of brings it all together. Look at this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Christian, do you think that if Jesus Christ has taken up residence in you now, if he's tabernacled with you now, if he's in you now by his spirit, if he's taken up residence in you now, do you think there is any way that you won't make it into the closeness of God later? Some of you here may have had the unhelpful experience of having unwanted tenants in your rentals. Anybody had that sort of experience? Mm, maybe. Uh, or maybe you've, you've, you've had invited guests come into your home, but they've overstayed their welcome and you want them to leave. Anybody had that experience? Probably a few of you. When you put your faith in Christ, you're actually inviting the most wonderful guest to come and stay in your heart forever. And he will never leave. Nor do you want him to leave. Because his presence within you is a most precious reality now. So for the remainder of our time, I want to ask, what, what difference does that make? What, what, what practical difference does that make to have Christ in us? Let me give you four. The comfort of Christ 
in you. Whether you are married or single, whether you are divorced, widowed, whether you have family or not, whether you have a job or not, whether you have a busy job or don't have something busy, whether you are part of a wonderful church like BBC, whether you are part of a connect group where you belong, this world is a lonely place. When we have conflict in various spaces that we, that we, that we live in, it, it accentuates that loneliness. When you proclaim Christ and you're persecuted or rejected, that, that aggravates that loneliness. Just think about where Paul was when he wrote this letter. Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, Christ in you, for which I am in chains. Chains for the gospel is a lonely place. On my way back from uh, Sydney, I was listening to something and there was a particular line in this talk and this particular uh, lady turned around in this talk and, and, and she said that, that loneliness should be something that Christians never experience. And as I pondered that, I thought, it's a great ideal, but I'm not sure it's the reality. Some of you here this morning, you are lonely because you have lost a closeness with someone Maybe it was because of Christ. Maybe it was because of sin. Maybe it was because of death. Maybe there are various reasons. There are some of you really grieving the lost closeness. What was Paul's comfort in his chains? Christ in him. What is, what is the comfort of Christ to us? in those times and those spaces of loneliness. It is Christ in you. And wherever we are, He is there because He's in us. Wherever we go, He goes with us because He is in us. Again, we look back into the Old Testament. David, King David, look at these words in Psalm 139. He, he could just never have imagined, Psalm 139, he could just never have imagined just how close this would be. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. If, if you sit on the far side of the sea, you're, even there your hand will hold me fast. It's not just that where we go, he goes. It's, he goes with us because he's in us. He's not just with us wherever we are. He's, he's, he's in us. He, he can't leave us because He's in us. Christ can't die on you. Christ can't divorce you. Christ can't separate from you. There is nothing you can do to push Him away. Isn't it true that sometimes we want closeness and we push people away? You can't push Christ away. He is that close. He is in you. One of the things that we need never grieve, we never need grieve the lost closeness of God because Christ in you, Christ in us.
Christ in us ought to be of tremendous comfort in those times of dark loneliness. Let me give you a second one. The proclamation of Christ in you. So have a look at verse 28. He says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Now just stop there at verse 28 for a moment. To, to proclaim Christ, verse 28, in the context of verse 27 means that when we proclaim Christ, we're, we're, we're proclaiming we're proclaiming that people who are so far away can come to God. That's our gospel. Our gospel is people are so far away from God. The gospel of Christ is that He's removed the barrier. He, he makes us holy before the eyes of the Father. And then He comes so close by Christ in us with, with the guarantee, the future promise of, of the closeness of God. That's what we offer to people. We're offering to people, come to the closeness of God. And I want to ask you this morning, is that you? Maybe, maybe you are here this morning and you've just never come close to God. And the invitation is, come close. Come. Come. The barrier is removed. The blame is taken on Christ. He will fill you with himself. He will live in you. He will dwell in you. He'll tabernacle in you. He'll take up residence in you. He will, he will live in you. And He'll take you all the way to the closeness that is beyond anything you can imagine. Would you come close today? Just, uh, I've just tweaked it slightly in the, in the little little bracket there for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you so close to God but as you look at verse 28 again notice it says we proclaim Christ to whom admonishing and teaching everyone with all Wisdom. Why? For our maturity. In other words, we don't just preach the Christ that is close to those who are far. We preach it to those who are near. We've got to preach, we've got to proclaim that to one another so that we can grow and mature in Christ. In other words, there is a direct correlation between, between our maturity and knowing Christ in us. Let me put it this way. What are those things that cause us to doubt God's love, God's promise, uh, to doubt God's love, God's presence and promises? What are the things that cause us to doubt God's love, presence and promises? It's usually sin and suffering, isn't it? When we sin, and when we suffer, we doubt God is so close. You doubt God's love? Christ in you. You doubt God's presence? You maybe feel that He's left you? Christ in you. You doubt God's promises? 
Christ in you. When verse 28 says that we are to admonish and teach one another, in the context it's saying, you and I have to keep reminding one another that it's Christ in us. So look at verse 29. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. To what end? To what end is Paul working? To what end is Paul giving himself? He is absolutely laboring and toiling for God's people to know that Christ is in them. And therefore they never need doubt his love, his presence or promises. Because Christ will never leave his people. As the day of Christ's return is coming closer and closer. I need to know and I need to be reminded from God's word through God's people. That it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. Here's a third application. The afflictions of Christ in you. If you've got your Bible, it's coming up on the screen. Look at verse 24. Now Paul says, I now rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, you look at that verse. It's been one of those controversial verses. It's not at all. I mean, it simply cannot mean that somehow the sufferings of Christ on the cross were deficient. It can't mean that, can it? It simply cannot mean that. All our sins are forgiven. Chapter 2, verse 13. It is finished, Christ said on the cross. So it does not mean that Christ's suffering was somehow deficient and Paul's got to pop it up by his own suffering. But what Paul does understand is this. He understands that when he is being persecuted, who are people persecuting? Let me turn it right this way. When you're being persecuted, who are people actually persecuting? Christ. Remember that? So remember Acts chapter 9? Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting Christians. A Christ appears to him. Vision blinds Paul. And what does Jesus say to Paul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No. Why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting me. As one commentator put it like this, he said, people beat and persecute Christians because they can't do it to Christ anymore. If you're being persecuted for Christ, who are they persecuting? Christ. If it's Christ in you, who are they persecuting? Christ. If it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, who are they persecuting? They're persecuting Christ. But here is what Paul is getting at. He says, I, I will gladly, here's in the context. Paul is actually saying, I will gladly suffer for the gospel in order to bring people close to God. That's what he's saying. Have a look at it. Just back up into the verse. Verse 23. Halfway through. This is the gospel that you have heard and being proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Put it this way. 
this gospel that we hold, this gospel that we hold in jars of clay, is a gospel that will take people so far away from God and bring them so close to God. And Paul says, I am willing for that to happen. So that people can come so close. I am willing to suffer for Christ. Is that us? Are we willing to suffer for Christ for the sake of bringing people so far to so near and so close? Let me touch one more application. The holiness of Christ in you. We, we, we are holy, right? To God's holy people. I love that one line from uh, uh, Mercy, Mercy Me. I think the, the song is called Flawless. And the line goes, the cross has made you flawless. But this Christ in us should be one of the ultimate motivations for us to live godly lives. I'm going to unpack that for you in chapter 3 when we get there in a couple of weeks. But take a look at this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. If Christ lives in us, if by Christ in us we have been made temples for the Holy Spirit, Spirit, should we not desire more and more and more to live the godly lives He's called us to be? That we, we keep repenting, we keep turning away from sin, we, we keep pursuing those things that, that, that bring about the life worthy of God, worthy of our calling, Colossians chapter 1. But let me just press this a little bit further for you. Have a look at this verse. Paul's in the same chapter, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. If Christ is in you, why would you want to go and unite yourself to sin? Because every time we sin, we're uniting Christ to that sin. Do you realize that? If, we, if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's not just in the sexual immorality context, every time that we sin, in some way we are uniting Christ in us to that sin. And therefore Christ in us should be one of the greatest motivations to live the lives that God's called us to live. Or put it another way, the extent to which we know Christ in us is going to have a direct correlation to our growth, our growth in godliness. Maybe I can put it this way. Let, the, let Christ in you be the fuel for your growth in godliness. As I close, I'm going to put up these verses for you. And make one statement. 
In Isaiah 26 verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Psalm 42, 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Psalm 84, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Does your soul this morning long for the closeness of God? I want to tell you that that closeness is going to be beyond anything that you can ever imagine. But that closeness has started now. It is Christ in you now for the hope of the closeness that is coming. May this be of comfort and encouragement to you this morning. Shall we pray together? Father, you've made us you've made us creatures that long for closeness and intimacy. You've give us given us human relationships that can sometimes reflect that and a closeness that can be enjoyed. And we know how often sin destroys it. But Father, our souls are restless until they find you. Our souls will always be restless until we come core diem, before your very eyes face to face. And yet in Christ, you've drawn us so close, so near, by putting your Son in us. Please, would you, would you minister to us this morning by your Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen.